Live from Nashville, Tennessee, it's Dawn and Steve in the morning. Good morning from Moody Radio. This hour, I have a question for you. How can the Lord's Prayer shape the imagination of the church in a secular age? Huh. Ooh. Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit later this hour. So looking forward to that conversation with DJ Murata. And no, we're not talking like mixing DJ. No. No, no not that. That's stands just, for something that, other than disc jockey. Stands for something, exactly. <laughs> so I think that'll be a fun conversation and uh, looking forward to that. You know, we're glad that you're with us and uh, waking up with us. I kind of had a, a wake up last night around here Yeah. when uh, I left the building. I was the last one out, so I set the alarm uh-huh. and walked out to my car, started it up, started to drive away and realized I forgot something. So quick, whipped into a parking place, jumped out. I'm just going to run in and uh, grab what I, I, f- I forgot and head back home. And so I enter the little code outside the door. Yep. And that unlocks the door. Go in, and I expect to hear the little bee, the little yeah. thing that says, hey, the alarm beep, is set. Beep, You've got beep. X number of seconds to enter the code, and you, you can go about your business. That's not the sound I heard. Oh, what'd you hear? Somehow I triggered the alarm. Last night, and it was loud. It is loud. Did you like wake up? (laughs) If you had any little, did startle me just a bit. Got the adrenaline going just to scotch. That's the thing. So I was wide awake on the drive home after that. (laughs) So uh, we are going to try and wake you up this morning in a much more gentle way than uh, than an alarm like that. I don't know how gentle this is going to be. I'm, I, I mean, you know, if you're struggling with a decision that you're teetering on the fence of making when it comes to sin, I, I feel like the yes. church lady all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to sound that all way. All of a sudden I see Dana Carvey right I there. I know. But so this is real to all of us. And when when you know what this is like, you're you're thinking about doing something. Hopefully you're thinking about it. You're not just jumping both feet in to a decision that you know is going to wreak havoc. But oftentimes I think as we're thinking about and considering, "Mm, do you, do you consider what this is going to do to the people in your life? Or do you just think, Hmm, God's probably not going to blight me off the earth. He's probably not going to flick me. I think I can get by with this. Do you ever kind of weigh out the consequences of sin or do you just go, hey, this is what I want to do. I'm just jumping right in and let the chips fall where they may. I, you're I, not answering. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not answering. I, I, I thought this was a rhetorical question. You're going to make me. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, I know there's times in my life where I have honestly just said, let the chips fall where they may. Because the flesh was just going to do what the flesh wanted oh, to sure. do. Other times, I have considered the the consequences. This past Sunday, I was visiting a church, and the pastor was in Genesis 3. And he brought this point up. When Eve took the fruit, was she thinking about one son and how he would rise up against the other and take his life? No. Right. She nope. wasn't thinking about disobedience to God was going to bring out all these ramifications that women going forward would then have travails, including her, in labor and giving birth to children. No, she wasn't thinking of that. She was thinking what the serpent was saying to her, and that is, hey, God didn't really mean that there was going to be consequences to your sin like death. 
And I, I, this thought was triggered in me because today being February 1st, it's National Serpent Day, oh, okay. which just boom, 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 took me down to Genesis 3. Took you right 3. down to Genesis 3, gotcha. It just did. And and the truth of how there are always consequences to sin. We, we kind of live with this umbrella, if it were, over our lives. There are people under that umbrella. We don't often consider, as Eve did not, what the ramifications would be with, for those that we love. Yeah. When we disobey. And sometimes I think the temptation or one of the temptations is to think, well, if I do this, engage in this behavior, whatever that may be, the only one who's being hurt is me. Right. And so we're like, you know what? I'm going to hurt me and I'm okay with that. Not realizing or thinking through how that is going to impact those around us. Mm. And it certainly is. You know, you think about did Eve understand what would be coming. Mm-hmm. No, because if she would have, obviously she would have made a very different decision. And you think about where Eve was before she gave in to that temptation and Adam then joined her. The tree was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm. All they knew up to that point was the good. Perfection. That was it, right? It had no inkling, taste, idea of what evil was. And you think, had they known, had they understood, certainly that's not a decision they would have made because all that that did was open up the door for humanity to now experience evil. Mm-hmm. And man, do we ever experience that. And I, like you said, one of the temptations, I think, is for us to be so myopic and focus only on me. And if I do this, I'm the only one getting hurt or the consequences aren't going to be that bad until we engage. Mm-hmm. And this, then, <laughs> then we experience the pain. And this can go, I mean, as what may seem as a simple response when it comes to our words. I mean, there have been times the Lord has said, keep your mouth shut. And I go, I, that can't be you, Lord. I, this is a safe space. And I open my mouth and, oh, the consequences that have come with that, even in a safe space. Because that's a big thing now. And, and rightly so. We should be able to hear, you know, someone who needs to talk. But when the Lord says, keep your mouth shut, we better keep our mouth shut. Yeah. Disobedience can come in all different varieties. Well, that's a, uh, a good challenge for us to think about this morning. Maybe you want to join the conversation. Certainly welcome to do that. You can call or text this morning, 800-555-7898. That's 800 555 7898. Thanks for listening to Dawn and Steve in the morning. Remember to find us on Facebook. Just search for Dawn and Steve in the morning. While you're there, why not send us a message and tell us the artists you want to hear on Moody Tunes, which is our weekly, our monthly, I should say, but uh, artists live in studio event that takes place on Wednesdays between 8 and 9. Hey, we're looking forward to the next one of those, and we've got some great artists lined up, but I want to back up just a moment and talk about uh, something we were addressing a few moments ago, and you were talking about the consequence of sin and mm-hmm. how if we really understood the consequence of sin, we'd probably be far more inclined not to engage mm-hmm. in that temptation and to, to follow that through to the point where we are sinning. But that can be such a challenge. Uh-huh. That can be really hard to engage in that battle when temptation comes. And so how do we fight sin? 
I think that is the question that I have that comes out of what we were just talking about a moment ago. And I think that is one of the things that as we grow and mature in our Christian life, hopefully we get better at Mm -hmm. recognizing temptation when it comes, realizing the power of giving into that temptation and giving sin a little bit of a, a stronger foothold and then a stronger one after that. And that foothold becomes a, a chokehold eventually mm-hmm. and a stranglehold. So we, we want to engage in the battle against temptation and against sin far earlier, hopefully than what maybe what we have been. So how do we begin to say no? So when temptation comes, what do you do? You mentioned recognizing it. That's the first key is recognizing, wait a minute, this type of decision would be contrary to what God tells me to pursue. Mm -hmm. It's not anything that the fruit of the Spirit wants to touch, right? If we're supposed to be pursuing with abandonment all of the things that are, are, if you want to say it this way, I don't like this term, but legal, you know, all the things that God says, listen, there's no law against this. Go after the fruit of the Spirit. But what I'm considering is not the fruit of the Spirit. That's the first kind of notification to my brain that says, oh, this may not be something that you want to go down that path. And Kathy, you texted this morning, appreciate that, just talking about an underrated skill of pull out, you know, like don't give in to that temptation. Mm-hmm. It's something that has to be practiced. We're never going to arrive and get this 100% right. We're just not. But we can grow in this. And with anything in our lives, if we're growing, we're practicing that. And and so to me, recognizing this is a temptation, knowing that it's about to go sideways if you give into this because God's word has said this is not a safe area. Don't do it. And obviously, if you hear the voice of the Lord, thank you. I have some experience in hearing and disobeying anyway. It gets super loud next time. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think when we hear that voice and we begin to obey, obedience becomes easier. Yeah. You know, it's the the kind of thing where when you begin to say no to sin, For sure. the next time temptation comes, it's easier to say no. The next time because it comes again, practice. it's easier to say no mm-hmm. because you begin to practice. Same way, if you practice indulging in that sin, it gets easier and easier to keep going down that path. Truth. And then we experience the, the pain and the consequence and the destruction that comes with that. Flip that on its head. You practice saying no to temptation. It gets easier over time to say no. And I think one of the challenges that then comes with that is uh, maybe a little bit of pride because we realize, hey, I'm starting to have victory over this temptation. Yeah, starting careful. to have a little victory over the sin. And, <laughs> and to be so careful in that and to realize and recognize that it is the Spirit of God alive and at work in us yep. that is enabling us, giving us that power to say no. Mm-hmm. to sin. And when we face that temptation, I think one of the things that is so helpful is to actually, with intentionality, remind ourselves under whose power we're saying no to that temptation. Because if I say, I'm not going to indulge in X, Y, Z, and I don't, then I feel good about me. Sure. If I say, I'm not going to, with the Lord's help, and because his spirit lives in me and he's yeah. going to give me the power not to indulge in X, Y, Z, well, then all the credit and the glory goes to him. Yeah. yeah. And that is a huge, huge difference. Power. There's power in giving him thanks. There's power in giving him 
praise. There's power in recognizing this is your work in my life. And and it not only does it disarm the pride and, and get rid of it, but it 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 continues his power. He says, come to me with thanksgiving, with mm-hmm. all things in thanksgiving, and to lift him up. If you're battling today, you're battling with the flesh, these are the things that we can put into practice, and we're right there with you. There's not a human on this planet that hasn't had to deal with temptation. Yep. But it's what we do when we hear it, when we recognize it, that shows whether we're allowing the work of God to give us the victory or whether we're just going to continue to fight the flesh one way or the other, either the pride or the giving in to sin. Music from Doe this morning reminds us of who is good. It's not me. <laughs> it is the living God. Don and Steve in the morning, Moody Radio. Thanks for being here with us. Why not take the word with you wherever you go? Download the Moody Radio app and just search for Dawn and Steve. We're happy to have you alongside as we talk to Mr. <laughs> Pastor, Anglican priest, <laughs> DJ Marota. Yes, <laughs> all the above. We're going to call you Dan for today. Is that okay? That sounds perfect. Dan works for you. That is your name. So uh, that that's a good one to to come alongside the the conversation. So you were just joining us, and I know you heard us talking about obedience and what that looks like in a believer's life. And as a pastor, as a priest, and you are part of a congregation, what do you do to encourage others to to pursue obedience? I know you've written this book, Liturgy in the Wilderness, and I'm sure part of this book is encouraging people to do just that. What have you found as a pastor that would help us be obedient and serve the Lord well? Absolutely. Um, So one of the things that our church talks about a lot is the power of habit um, and the way that our habits shape us and form us. Our habits are not only an expression of what's happening inside of us. They don't only come from within. Habits also can become almost a kind of spiritual formation from the outside in, where we begin to practice things with our bodies or with our mouths, um, you know, in the words we say, in the songs we sing, in the actions or the the things that we do. And then those have a formative effect on our hearts. Um, One of the things that I like to say is that the human heart is kind of like a diesel engine in the dead of winter. It takes a long time to get started and get going. And sometimes our habits can have the effect of kind of jump-starting our hearts and getting us going in the right direction. That's uh, that's, good, that's good. You know, mm-hmm. think of that uh, scripture passage that says, you know, uh, where your money is or where your treasure is or whatever it is you value, there your heart will be also. You know, we can we can train the heart, which I think is an encouraging thing. Uh, but, Dan, you've written this book, Liturgy in the Wilderness, and you point out there that humanity begins in a garden— and ultimately, in the book of Revelation, we see this great city, but in the meantime, there is wilderness. What is that wilderness? Describe, describe the wilderness to us. Absolutely. So in order to do that, we have to understand just a little bit of biblical theology. So in the Old Testament story, in the book of Exodus, you have God's people set free from slavery in Egypt. They cross through the waters of the Red Sea, and then they receive God's law. Uh, and helping them know how to be his people. And then they journey together for 40 years in the wilderness before they then cross the Jordan River and reach the promised land. And I think one of the things that all followers of Jesus today have got to kind of wrap their minds around is that narrative arc 
of freedom from, from slavery, passing through water, receiving God's law, learning how to be God's people, journeying in the wilderness on the way to God's promised land. That is the narrative arc of the Christian life, that Christ's death and resurrection sets us free from slavery to sin. We pass through the waters of baptism, not the Red Sea, but baptism. Uh, and then we learn how to obey. We go through this process of sanctification, everything that you were just talking about earlier in the previous segment. Uh, and we're on our way towards God's promised land, but we're not there yet. So where are we? Where is the context of our lives? It's the wilderness. That is where we spend our lives. And I have found tremendous, it's like, it's one of those things where it's, it sounds like bad news initially, but it actually helps make good sense of why life feels as hard as it does. Um, if I keep thinking that I just need to get to the promised land now in this life, I'm going to be constantly frustrated and discouraged and disappointed. But if I can embrace the reality that my life is lived in the wilderness, then it helps me understand where I am, why am I experiencing what I'm experiencing, why is life such a struggle, why is it so hard, and then what invitation lies before me which is the path of obedience, learning how to be God's people. Mm -hmm. And as you kind of marry those two things together, the wilderness and these habits, the keystone habits that you talk about in your book, Liturgy in the Wilderness, how do we guard our hearts against habits versus just going through the motions? That I'm so glad you asked that. That is such a key distinctive because whenever we talk about habits or you know, an older word like liturgy or, you know, something like the Lord's Prayer, which is, you know, a fixed set of words that Christians for thousands of years have been praying through, you know, verbatim, word for word together. Uh, there can be this fear that if I, if I engage these practices, it'll just become rote, it'll become automatic, it'll just be perfunctory, this thing I do, a box I check, and my heart won't be engaged, and it won't really help me connect with God. And, and to dignify that fear, that's real. That does happen, and that is something we have to avoid. The metaphor I would use is, you know, a lot of those of us who are married maybe have a weekly date night with our spouse, and you can engage the habit of a weekly date night without your heart being engaged, and it actually won't do anything for your marriage. But if you engage that habit with your heart engaged, it can actually transform the relationship. And I would say praying the Lord's Prayer on a regular basis can be the same thing when the heart is engaged. That's really good. I love that that metaphor right there. It's such, a, I think, a, a helpful one. Talking with uh, Dan Broda this morning, he's written the book Liturgy in the Wilderness. And if you want to join the conversation, you can call or text 800-555-7898. That's 800-555-7898. Well, it's easy to neglect a date night. It can be easy to neglect the Lord's Prayer and some of those spiritual disciplines and liturgy and things. So well, what do we do if we recognize the fact that there's trouble and we want to get going again? We're going to talk about that in a few minutes with Dan. Stick around if you want to connect. It's on our Facebook page, Don and Steve in the Morning. You're listening to Dawn and Steve in the Morning on Moody Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, we're glad you're with us as we continue the conversation with Dan Broda. He has written a book, Liturgy in the Wilderness, How the Lord's Prayer Shapes the Imagination of the Church in a Secular Age. And uh, Dan, you know, with a, uh, a title like liturgy, the word uh, liturgy in the title, and uh, shaping imagination and the Lord's Prayer and all that, that, that feels to me like some kind of heady concepts. And so I want to begin to kind of break this down a, a little bit more here. Um 
How does the Lord's Prayer shape the imagination of the Church? I mean, isn't the Lord's Prayer the Lord's Prayer? What imagination are you bringing to that? Sure. Yeah. Very fair question. So one of the things that I like to say about the Lord's Prayer is it's a little bit like the wardrobe into Narnia. It's bigger on the inside than it appears to be on the outside. And so one of the purposes of the book is to invite people into a very familiar prayer that almost, you know, lots of people have it memorized. People that don't even believe it have it memorized. Uh, And so what I'd like to do in the book is invite people into the Lord's Prayer and sort, of, and sort of show them around, show them around the Narnia that is on the inside and help them see just how much is there and how the Lord's Prayer actually functions as something of a framework, like a theological framework for the Christian faith. Um, and so, yeah, so, some of the words in that subtitle feel a little bit heady, how the Lord's Prayer shapes the imagination of the church in a secular age. If I could say one more thing about imagination, um, there's this old phrase that the church has been saying for hundreds, if not over a thousand years. And the phrase is, it's in Latin, but don't worry, we'll translate. Lex arendi, lex credendi, lex vivendi. And it's very simply, the law of praying is the law of believing, is the law of living. The idea being that what we pray shapes what we believe and what we love, which then in turn shapes how we live. And so if you want to change your lifestyle, or as we said earlier, your habits, One of the starting, it's not the only starting place, but one of the key starting places would be prayer, because prayer brings us into conversation with God, the source of all imagination. We know that he's given us the Lord's Prayer as a model, and yet, unless we're praying that by rote, by memory, we're probably, our prayer lives look more like, hey, Lord, could you bless this today, and could you give me that, and if you would make this straight and heal this situation— uh, where where's the disconnect as we walk into Narnia and look around? How how do you bring us back to this model that Jesus gave us to pray? Sure thing. So uh, I would want all listeners to know that um, to pray liturgically or habitually, like something you know, like the Lord's Prayer, doesn't disqualify extemporaneous prayer or sort of like prayer made up on the spot. Like both are valid. We need both. You might think about liturgical prayer or the Lord's Prayer as as something like classical sheet music um, or learning your scales on the guitar or on the piano. And then kind of once you learn the scales, once you understand how music is composed and works together, then you can go off script and you can jam. Um, but in order to pray well, uh, it's in order to pray, you know, along the lines uh, that our Lord would like us to pray, in order to talk to God the way he invites us to talk to him then a good starting place would be the place where the disciples began, where they come to Jesus and say, Lord, teach us to pray. And he says, when you pray, say, and he gives us the Lord's Prayer. And of course, that's not all that prayer can be. There's certainly much more, but it is it is the foundation. It is the starting place. Mm. I love that. And, you know, as we look at the Lord's Prayer, the starting place is our Father. Was the Lord's Prayer originally intended to be prayed corporately? Absolutely. So the way the Lord's Prayer was used in the early church was uh, it was it was prayed um, out loud uh, by the congregation together. And I love that first phrase, our father, because it immediately confronts me with the reality that I am not following Jesus by myself, mm-hmm. that to relate to God as father automatically puts me in sibling relationships with other brothers and sisters in the church. Now, that is a really good perspective to be reminded of. And it brings more of the realness, the richness to praying 
the Lord's Prayer. It is a model, and Jesus himself gave it to us. If we're in the wilderness, maybe a little liturgy will help us navigate that. And I know, Dan, that is your heart, as you have shared with us, Liturgy in the Wilderness, a brand new book, How the Lord's Prayer Shapes the Imagination of the Church in a Secular Age. Now, you'll see the author is DJ Marota. We're talking to Dan, the author today. It is Don and Steve in the morning. Moody Radio, you can connect with this work through our Facebook page. That's Don and Steve in the morning. Or you can text and we'll send you the link. 800-555-7898.